Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. That's Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. Would you all stand with me for the reading of God's word? Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray one more time. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in ways of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. So we are on a series, the vision series, and we want to talk about, or I want to talk about, what our church is about. What has God commanded us to do and how we are going to live that out as CGS, as believers in Christ, but more specifically as disciples of Christ. And in this passage that we read again today, we see that Jesus enters, calls them to this mountain, and then 11 of his disciples are there. And when the 11 disciples worship, uh, they see him, they worship him. They saw Jesus before. For the last three plus years, they were hanging out with Jesus. They ate with him. They dined with him. They slept uh, together and outside in the cold with him. Um, when there was no roof over their heads, they journeyed together. But now when they see him, they worship him. Jesus was amazing before, but now? Wow. Wow. When I was younger, I saw this old movie, um, it's called Groundhog Day. Not many of you may know this movie, but some of you may. Um, and I liked it. If you liked it, then we are kindred spirits. If you didn't like it, then perhaps you found the movie repetitive. That's an inside joke for those that saw the movie. So if you didn't see the movie, you're like, what is this guy talking about? But Groundhog Day is, stars Bill Murray. And Bill Murray, his character just repeats the day, the same day over and over again. At 6 a.m., he wakes up, and he just repeats the same day. He can't get out of the same day. And I really liked it, especially as a young man watching this. And in the end, I'm not going to ruin anything for you, I hope, but he does get to learn how to play the piano. I don't think it has anything to do with the main storyline of the plot, so I think that's fine. But I recommend if you didn't watch it, it's kind of a nice, fun movie to watch. Um, not heavy or anything like that. And Bill Murray's hilarious. But um, at the end, he plays the piano. He did not appeal, play the piano before, but at one, t at one point, he, uh, he just goes every day to the same teacher. And first, he doesn't even know how to play with his left hand or play even the right notes. And then, you know, the next day is the same day. He goes to the teacher, I would like to learn how to play the piano. And she's like, okay. And then he starts playing well. She's like, is this your first time playing the piano? And he's like, yes, but my father was a piano mover. I don't know. He, he starts saying things like that. And then the end, he's like playing this little jazzy piece. 
to impress the girl that he likes. And there's one point where he, he's convinced that he is a god, a god. And then his counterpart is saying, you're not, you're not God. Well, I didn't say I was the God. I said a God. And then he says this, well, maybe the real God uses tricks, you know. Maybe he's not omnipotent. He's just been around so long, he knows everything. Because at this point, he just knows what, how everything's going to happen, what's going to go down. But um, I remembered that. And as a child, I thought, I could do anything, like play the piano. Imagine the days went on, and it was the same day, and I could go to this genius piano teacher, and I could play the piano. That would be great. I sometimes joke with my mom. Remember, Mom, um, you told me to take piano lessons, and I said, no. You know, I wish you had pushed me harder. And then she would give me this glare because she pushed me so hard, and I just said, no, no piano. So when we went to lessons, I wouldn't even practice and just hit the key and then go home. But, you know, I just joke around. But, you know, as I grew up uh, and got older, I thought, man, learning the piano would be so cool. Uh, and I could play some pieces. And I think if I had an infinite amount of time, I think I could do it. Just like in Groundhog Day, you know, just everyday practice and I could do it. And I thought that and I got older, and then I saw an absolute genius play the La Campanella. And it's a, it's a piece by Franz Liszt. And I saw this absolute genius play La Campanella, and I thought to myself, no, <laughs> it doesn't matter how much time I have, there's no way I could play like this guy. It was so beautifully and masterfully done that when I saw it, just tears started coming out. It was just so beautiful. And his hands were like, you couldn't see it. It was invisible. It was so quick and it was powerful. It was emotional, passionate, and all these things. And I realized something, that there is a difference between just a skilled artist and a true master. And when I see a, a good artist, you know, I want to try that too. It feels good. Maybe I, if I lived out Groundhog Day, I could play that little jazzy tune. But seeing a master, I started to realize that there is a level that I cannot pass without raw talent and gift. And I would make that joke to certain people, and some of you even here, that after seeing a master, I wouldn't even want to touch my guitar. Because I don't want to sully the beautiful sound I just heard from what the master just played. You know, if I see a master play or sing, and I was like, oh, yeah, let me do it. You know, and I do something horrible. It's like, why would you sully that beautiful experience? So I would joke around like that. And whenever you, as a dabbler or even performer, see a master on their in in instrument, we are in awe. How about when we see perfection? Jesus was perfect in every way without blemish. When the disciples saw him, the resurrected Jesus, they worshipped him. John Owen wrote, He was every way in the perfect holiness of his nature and his life, distinguished from all sinners. I think it comes inspired from Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, if it was just perfection and power, that would bring fear. We see that countless times and even in our lives, when there is someone or something that reaches that perfection and power, there is fear. When the angel came down, people literally peed their pants and they acted like they were dead. And the angel would have to say, do not be afraid. Why would anybody go to you and say, do not be afraid if you weren't afraid? That would just be foolish. If I met someone and said, hey, don't be scared. You would first, if you weren't scared, you, you would ask the question, why should I be scared? Is there a reason I should be scared if you weren't scared? But the angel will come down and say, don't be afraid, because their presence itself was powerful, so powerful in fact, it would bring fear. However, Jesus was different. He is the high priest that is absolutely able to sympathize with our weaknesses. So there is awe, and there's love. There's awe, and there's love, and we have worship. This gathering of his people is a constant expression of the fact that we are his and that we can stand in awe of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do, and the fact that we are absolutely loved by him. That we are his disciples as we learned last week and that we can worship. You know, it's important to also note that right after this it says that some doubted. Who doubted? Probably some of the 11. Some people think it's people outside the 11. The 11 couldn't have doubted. But in this Bible verse, it doesn't mention anyone else. It just talks about the 11. So I'd be hard-pressed to think that there were more people. Perhaps, but probably not. And we do know that some people did doubt, like Thomas. Um, but even though we would refer to someone like Doubting Thomas... We know that he eventually did come around. So the doubt part, what we see here is people that are slow to believe, slow to recognize, slow to get it. And even Jesus himself says, are you so slow or dull? And so, yes, even if you have witnessed Jesus, you may doubt at times and it may take a while. But in the very least, I would say have the same drive as Thomas. If that's where you are now, have the same drive as Thomas and ask God, reveal yourself to me. In fact, Thomas, we know traditionally in Christian tradition, he has gone the furthest of any other disciple and was a martyr in India. So how now do you go and make disciples? And I think the answer is quite simple. Number one is you live as a disciple. Number two is you share the truth about Christ. Live as disciples and share the truth about Christ. If I saw an amazing master of a craft, I would be excited to share. And in fact, I saw an amazing pianist, masterful in his craft, and I was excited to share with the people in my car. And I was fumbling, I pulled over the car. I don't know, some of the guys here were with me. I don't, I don't think I actually fully pulled over. I just stood right there in the middle of the street and said, you guys got to listen to this guy. And I started punching it in. And then I shared it with them. And then I would share things like, did you see the, this guy's hands? Um, 
But when you see something amazing, it does stop you. And when you've witnessed it, it does make you share. Just living as a disciple means that you have witnessed, are witnessing, and will witness Christ's power in your life. And that's something that we should be able to easily share. We should be excited to share. To be a disciple of Christ means that Christ, this perfect, amazing, complete person called you in. Called you into his goodness. Called you into the incredible life of being changed. Something that was once impossible for us. Something that we could have never achieved in eons of eternity becomes possible for us that's what we've been given through christ we could have never achieved it on our own but through christ it becomes possible but more importantly than that you got to see as a disciple you got to see the master of masters the king of kings the lord of lords do you realize how significant that is when Jesus was about to be crucified in John chapter 18, Pilate goes to him, so you are a king? And Jesus goes, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate answers, what is truth? Right? And in, in that um, Passion of the Christ movie, he goes, he says in Latin, we is veritas, right? And truth what is truth and i think what Pilate said to some degree we all kind of struggle with what is truth and truth we do not mean when we say truth we do not mean some scientific or mathematical fact jesus did not come into the world to say one plus one equals two yes that it does but it wasn't the truth he was talking about do you want to know it do you really want to know the truth or are you just saying what is truth as a cop-out? Because you really don't want to believe it. You have all these other voices telling you, mind you, just like Pilate, all these other voices telling you, hey, if you free Jesus, we will not be happy. In fact, we will be very upset. If you free Jesus, your job and livelihood is on the line. Your paycheck, your food that you put on the table. If you believe Jesus over us, you are no longer friend of Caesar and you are an enemy of everything in this world. Jesus came into this world so that we can be of the truth and we can listen to his voice. As disciples, do you recognize how significant this is? Because we are now ambassadors of the Most High, bearers of truth. And it just doesn't affect us in how we talk about Jesus. It affects how we act. There is a change that starts to happen in the deepest part of our being and our soul, where we not only have his truth given to us, but we become more like him. The mastering that really counted, something that I could not have mastered 
even if I had eons of eternity at my grasp that I couldn't master, is given to me and is being given to me. And this is what we call salvation. And so now that we have been given this salvation, this mastering that we could not do on our own, but we saw Jesus do, what does he tell us to do? Go and make disciples. How? He says, baptize. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Not names. So he's saying the name. There is one God in three persons, but one God. And so we baptize. And the baptism is a welcoming into the fold. You don't make disciples, meaning you don't do the actual conversion. We went through this last week. But it is God and the Holy Spirit that converts. You make disciples by, number one, baptizing. And baptizing is a welcoming into the fold. And if you're a new convert, we've had baptisms before. The Holy Spirit turned your heart so that now we get to profess it before the congregation and before God. And it is a welcoming into the fold. Number two, you teach. And teaching is growing into the fold. So baptism is a welcoming into the fold. Teaching is growing in the fold. And that bottom line is there is an incredible encouragement Christ gives his disciples at the end. And he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I pray that you can let that sink in. Recognize it for the deep and incredible statement that it is. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And this is where we get our three branches of ministry. Our mission statement to go and make disciples is lived out as number one. In baptism, we welcome people into the fold. This is our invite ministry. We invite people that have been disciples or that are disciples of Christ. Number two, we invest. And invest is we grow as disciples in the fold. And finally, our third branch is imagine. If God is for us, who can be against us? So we get to move out, worship in ways we have never done before, inspired by the creativity of the creator God, confident then that Christ is with us always. This is what we have been given. This is our vision, CGS, that we invite, we invest, and we imagine. And if you do new members with us, we go into a little bit further perhaps, but this is what I go over over every new members class as well. And we see this actually literally being played out. Hopefully, you will see that. When you invite, we have a bunch of ministries and invite, but they're all part of this welcoming into the fold of Christ. Number two, invest. There's a growth. And I'm very excited about a lot of the programs we have, but more than the programs, hopefully these programs are because of our hunger to grow and the Spirit grows our spirits. Um, some of us are doing the 100-day Bible challenge, which I encourage you to do. Every Sunday we rest, so it in fact takes a little more than 100 days to complete. 
But as you do the 100 days, some of us are very busy. And I had recommended in the past to some people, you know what, if you have a commute to work, turn on your Bible app and press play. As long as you're focused on the road, I suppose, and you don't daydream. So I was like, whoa, three chapters passed. I don't even know what he just said. As long as it's not something like that, I would recommend that even that is a possibility. But the best way, of course, is if you are in a quiet place, listening to the word or reading the word. I say listening to the word so that you have no guilt. If reading is um, rough, some people have told me that when they read, they fall asleep. That's okay. Press play and listen to it. Just don't fall asleep. Get a nice cup of coffee and sip it. And then listen to the word. And I encourage you in this way because that's how they did the Bible in the past. They didn't all have scrolls that they could open up. Even King Josiah, he had someone read the scrolls to him and he listened. And as he listened to the word, he got up and he tore his clothes and he repented. He's like, the nation needs to repent. There's power in listening. You know what's even better is if you read it to each other. So sometimes when I have uh, like somebody I want to mentor and some of you have been mentored by me I'll sit you down and we'll read Bible chapters to each other back and forth and we'll go through multiple chapters so about 13 chapters will get you maybe 40 minutes 45 minutes if you read slow if you read like an auctioneer you know if you read like that you may get through it faster uh, I walked into uh, church at uh, a few weeks ago at 18 Essex and I thought it was I thought I thought something weird was going on because someone was talking like that but uh, Pilgrim Church was having a quick Bible reading they did like the whole one of the testaments maybe the New Testament in one day or something like that they had these people come up and read it they were so fast I thought I thought they were speaking tongues I'm not even kidding I thought they were speaking another language I was like Sometimes it sounds like Korean. Maybe I have the gift of interpretation. But it wasn't the case. Uh, they were just reading really fast in Korean. But I encourage you, read it to each other. Read the catechism to one another. Help us, help, it helps us memorize. But as we do these things, I'm very happy that we can do it together. There is such a wonderful thing that happens when we do things together together. And we recognize that it's not just us sitting here at the table, but God who promises us that as we invite, as we invest, as we imagine, that Jesus is here with us always. I'm excited to do 2018 with you together, knowing that Jesus himself promises us that he will be with us always. What a great promise to hold on to as we journey together. That means no matter where we go, it could be the high of highs or the low of lows, God is with us. And if God is for us and with us, what can be against us? So let us be ambassadors of the Most High. Let us be bearers of truth. Let us be light in dark places. Let us be salt in a tasteless world so that we can share the love of Christ that we've witnessed in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word that you give us, that inspires us, that propels us to move forward. And instead of just slinking down and retracting, 
into despair or bitterness, Lord God, you are our source of hope. You are our source of joy. And because of you, we are able to move forward knowing that there is not just healing that takes place, but there is an empowering that takes place. So, Lord, won't you empower your church today as we make disciples of Christ. Let us pray now, and as we journey in to 2018 together, let's pray for our church. Let's pray for ourselves. And as the Holy Spirit convicts, let's lift up our hearts and devote our lives to him. For he deserves all the glory. Let's pray.